Welcome to Oh My Lord, Chicago History You Never Learned in School. Today I am joined by Morgan Stringer. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good. I am I'm good. Just watching the uh the uh, Zuckerberg Senate hearings. Oh god. I, yeah. I don't even I I inevitably I'm going to learn about that since that's in my work sphere, but you know, um I'm not looking forward to it. <laughs> As somebody posted, only Josh Hawley can make you feel sorry for Zuckerberg. Oh my God, for real. <laughs> oh, is this, I did see the clip that where he was talking to, I think it was the TikTok CEO. Oh, um, that, that was, um, yes. Yeah, was, so where he was like, are you a member of a Chinese communist party? And the dude was just like, I'm from Singapore. <laughs> that one, I know you're not supposed to laugh at it, but it's just, oh. What are right. we doing here? Yeah, and it's kind of in keeping with the theme of today, too. So tell the audience a little bit about you. Well, my name is Morgan Stringer, and I work currently at Farrar and Ball, which is uh, the law firm most noted for suing Alex Jones in Texas. Yeah, and I work on um, defamation cases. I also do medical malpractice, personal injury, big personal and in- mostly big personal injury. Basically, if somebody's really badly hurt, we'll do it. But yeah, so I've been there for for um, oh almost six months now. So coming up on my one year in September, but yeah, so I do that. I'm also on hot dockets on Substack. Eventually, I hope to launch a podcast from that, but, um, you know, life keeps finding a way to interfere. It's like a, whenever I'm about to, you know, launch something, it, it feels like my car breaks down or something, Yeah, <laughs> you know, and it's like, oh no. Yeah. So, well. Have you heard of Operation Greylord? No. Okay. So we're going to start in the middle of our story. On October 6, 1983, the Chicago Sun-Times broke a story about corruption in Cook County courts involving one of the longest FBI undercover operations in history. Oh, Yes. Um, I bet everything was chill and cool. Exactly. That's why we have a story. Yeah. Everything was fine <laughs> and everybody went home and yeah, it, it was all great. It's all great. It's always good when the feds are uh, investigating your courts. So we're going to talk about actual corrupt courts, actual two-tiered systems of justice and and false flags, but no sorrows. Okay. Well, thank God for that quick note about my sources there's not a lot that's been written about it since it happened not a lot of think pieces as you would say and uh terry hake and wayne clatt wrote a book called operation Greylord: the true story of an untrained undercover agent and america's biggest corruption bust which serves as a background for this episode. It's very, very detailed and a little dry. I'm not going to quote it, but I've read it and serves as a background. I also found a lot of videos that I'll include in the show notes. There are a few, a handful of -of out-of-print books, but I relied heavily on the initial Chicago Sun-Times reporting in the months before they were purchased by Rupert Murdoch. Oh, 
Yes. Oh, there's a wrinkle. Because I was like, how have I never heard about this? If this is America's biggest, you know, I, I mean, I get it. You're trying to sell books. So maybe it wasn't, but I guess we'll find out. America's well, biggest corruption scandal. Yes. I'm, I'm kind of surprised. Like, I feel like this is something they should teach in law school, but... Yeah, no, they they don't. It's surprising the amount of things they don't teach in law school. It's like, here are the elements of assault. And I was just like, okay, well, where can I go and file a complaint? How do I do that? It's, you know, kind of like when you're asking in high school, okay, how do I do this practical thing? And they say, worry not, mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. <laughs> okay, that might explain Alina Haba. Why oh. she didn't know how to enter things into evidence. Uh, nothing. No, there's nothing that explains Alina Haba. I, I want her brain studied by science. Well, I think she's unemployed now. Oh, well, I mean, that that's probably best for, that is actually would be best for the legal profession and probably American society as a whole. Yes. So, We'll get into how the story broke a little bit later, but according to the FBI website, the name was inspired by the gray curly wigs worn in the British Parliament. However, Terry Hake says it was inspired by looking at the results of the horse races. Oh, okay. That's interesting. So I have, um, I did go to the ends of court, as I call them in England. I did a study abroad for a summer over in Cambridge. And I was just, I, I don't know how anybody practices law over there because I, I'm sorry, I can't look at you if we are both dressed like George Washington so and take this seriously. <laughs> like the fact that it is 2024 and they're still wearing powdered wigs. And also I think this might have a, an angle to it the fact that apparently they're very expensive and of course you know there's not powdered wig shops all over britain so it's mainly i think one guy that does them oh so, so he's got a corner in the market yeah i mean yeah because i i don't know if there's a huge huge market for it but i mean every lawyer and judge wears them but again i'm just like I, i'm sorry can we all take these off because i can't stop <laughs> laughing like i i don't I can't look at you right now. You look like Thomas Jefferson. Like, what year is it? <laughs> that is, yes, it's ridiculous. Well, they don't wear them in the Circuit Court of Cook County. Do you know anything about the Circuit Court of Cook, Cook County? So all I know is that Cook County, it, that's where Chicago is. And I do mm -hmm. know, you know, but generally the Circuit Court. So that'd be the trial court. Right. I know different states will call, you know, different courts different things. And, you know, it can get so confusing, like the fact that, you know, the trial court in New York is called the Superior Court, which is confusing. Yes, but, that is very confusing to me. Yeah, it, it's it's like, why can't you just call it the circuit court? But um, yeah, so I, I do know that for a fact that it's Chicago. So I'm, I do imagine they have quite a large caseload. They have quite a large caseload. So it's one of the largest unified court systems in the world. This is from their website. It has about 400 judges who serve 5.2 million residents of Cook County within the city of Chicago. And it's 126 surrounding suburbs and it has more than 1 million cases a year. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy huge. Like, I'm so I'm surprised, actually, that they have it subdivided that up a little bit more. There, there's like a flow chart for it 
but I'll include it in the show notes. But it is huge. It's crazy huge. And important to know that what when you get to name things, what most people call district attorneys, we call state's attorneys. And then they have assistant state's attorneys or ASAs. Okay. I did not know that. Yes. Um, I don't know why we do that. It gets a little confusing sometimes, but yes. Yeah. It's like every state likes to do something a little bit weird. You know, it's kind of like how Kentucky is like, we are a commonwealth. Yes. Yeah, it's <laughs> like everybody's got to be a little bit different. Kim Fox, who's our current state's attorney, she's the one that did not prosecute Jussie Smollett. It just gets confusing. Why can't we just call her the DA? <laughs> you know? Yeah, that does it, especially when it's, I feel like every other state does. I have never, I think I've heard the term state's attorney, but I think they were, I was assuming, I was like, maybe they mean somebody from the attorney general's office or something, but um you know, I, I was like, maybe they meant to say DA or something, but um, yeah, no, yeah, that's, that's interesting. and I'm not going to get super into the weeds of the structure of how the courts work, but we'll address it as we go along. Now, here's a brief overview of the corruption. In 1980, young ASA Terry Hake was assigned to the preliminary hearings court for murder, rape and child molestation. That's one division. Oh, but, yeah. That's all in one? Uh-huh. God, I would hate to work in that office. Um, <laughs> ooh, that's yeah. a lot to have in one division. One division. Yeah. And a judge dismissed a case involving the rape of a child. Okay. Well, do we know why he did that? Yes. We'll get into that. Okay, I assume it was for chill reasons. Um, Like there was no evidence. Well, he said that there was insufficient evidence, but Terry Hake felt that there was enough evidence and they could have, this is just because the important thing to know, everything we're talking about is at the preliminary hearing level. Oh, okay. Well, that's weird. So you go to one judge for the preliminary hearing and then it goes to, yeah. Yeah, that, that, okay. So it was dismissed at that preliminary hearing level. Okay. Right. And okay. he's two and a half years into being an ASA and he's really disillusioned. So he goes to his mentor, a guy named Michael Ficaro, and says he wants to quit. He just doesn't want to be a lawyer anymore. Oh, wow. So this wasn't even just like, oh, I don't know if I have a case, but I'm going to bring it anyway. It was just like straight up like he had evidence he had evidence okay and, and there so here, there was an how do i say this it was an open secret that judges were being bribed oh okay um yeah. i thought that would be like a ye olde prohibition type thing but not i i do know chicago has a history of corruption um as as we know but Wow. Um, it being an open secret is quite shocking. Open secret. And we'll get into how open of a secret it was in, in a little bit. Okay. A few weeks later, the feds call him and ask him if he wants to go undercover. And he's he does. They tell him that he will never practice law in Cook County again. Oh, wow. And he agrees to do it. So they dot all the I's and cross all the T's because... They have to get a judge to sign off on the op and alert current state attorney general, Bernard Carey. Okay. Because I didn't put this in here, but I'll, 
in the 70s, there was a judge that let off a mob hitman at the preliminary level. And another ASA kind of went rogue in his undercoverness and it was like perjuring himself. So so he we had they had to make sure Terry Hake was like covered for evidence. Oh man, and that's wild too, because you know how much like ev evidence you would already have to have to get a judge to sign off on a lawyer basically going undercover in a in their organization. Yes. Well, that would be insane. Yeah. So it's already like we got enough sufficient there to, you know, kind of get a, you know, judge to sign off on this. So, yeah. And they already wild. had one from a, another office because the corruption was so rampant that they didn't trust anybody in Chicago. I mean, I could imagine. <laughs> you don't know who's being bribed. I mean, you know, right. you, you don't know who's on the take. Right. But since he complained about it and he he's a baby face kind of guy and they tried to have him grow a mustache and dress flashier, but he oh. didn't feel comfortable because he's going undercover and he just has to be sort of authentic about it. Yeah, you can't, you also, I feel like if you're undercover, you don't want to draw a lot of attention to yourself. Right. And they gave him a, this really bulky 1980s wire to wear. Oh, no. I'm imagining yeah. it as like one of those, uh, one of the, the old cell phones, you know, that basically came with the suitcase. It kind of like that. I mean, you could put it underneath his armpit and then he had a wire underneath his tie. And I think, he, I think it ran all day long. It ran for like six hours. And then he would bring his recordings to his handler every morning before work. Oh my God, that that's wild because I can imagine like you having to get, you know, these kind of bulkier suits too to try to hide it, you know, no, no slim cuts. Well, and he has stories of like somebody once touched his shoulder and he was like so afraid that they were going to be like, what's the sun, you know? Yeah, like, like what's going on? You know, you know what I mean? But then also I feel like accusing somebody of wearing a wire, you know, especially if you're supposed to be an upstanding citizen, you know, it is a wild call to make, you know, cause if you're, if you're wrong, the, the dude's gonna, the dude who's supposedly wearing the wire, but that isn't wearing a wire is going to say, uh, why would you think I was wearing a wire? What are you up to? Exactly. We'll get a lot of what are you up to in a little bit. Um, he does have a story too, that they, there were people that kept asking him if he was a fed. Oh, oh, wow. So he, <laughs> so yeah, he's like shifty. I'm imagining him shifty eyed baby face. Like, uh -huh. you know, oh no, sweetie. He gets transferred the preliminary trial court for the narcotics division, specifically in Judge Wayne Olson's courtroom, who is known to be on the take. A little bit about Judge Olson. In his book, Hake describes him as such. Knowing Olson's volatility, in a fit of temper, he had once accidentally killed a man. The chief judge of the criminal courts kept him in the lowly job of deciding whether evidence in hundreds of drug arrests was strong enough for trial. This allowed Olson to arrange regular payoffs from defense attorneys who sometimes even stood in line to pay their respects. I'm sorry. Um, can we go back to kill the guy? <laughs> yes, we can. I'm going to just read a little bit from the Sun-Times, which elaborates on that. 
says, observers considered Olson a well-connected Comer. A 1979 biography said Olson's political sponsor was the late Otto Kerner, the governor and U.S. appeals court judge who later was convicted in a racetrack stock scandal. Olson, I love that detail. Olson became a circuit court associate judge in 1964. That same year, Olson and another man were charged with involuntary manslaughter when an electrician died of a skull fracture after a fight outside a North Riverside bar. Olson was suspended, but the a coroner's jury ruled the death accidental and a grand jury declined to indict him. The Illinois Supreme Court decided there was insufficient evidence for a disciplinary hearing, and he returned to the bench. So in his book, Haig goes a little more in, in detail. So he, um, he hit a guy with a gun because he, or he hit a guy in the head, um, because the guy was a Republican. I mean, all right. <laughs> I'm not, I'm an officer of a court, so of course I don't condone this, but, uh, I, you know, I feel like that Larry David meme, you know, like, uh, 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 but, um, so, but I'm sorry, the fact that you don't even get, you know, a letter of reprimand for hitting a dude over the head so hard he dies <laughs> is crazy to me. And his punishment is just being on the lower preliminary court for drug cases. Like, that's, I mean, if you kill a guy, not the worst punishment. Right, right. It's an insane little detail about Judge Olson. And because Terry has no training and the feds just tell him to figure it out. So he befriends Jim Big Bird Costello, who shows him the ropes. Um, why? <laughs> Big Bird. Okay. Everybody has names, like nicknames, because it's like, it's literally, it's like the fucking mob. Yeah, that's what it, it sounds like. And also, I love how, you know, I'm wondering if he was actually very small. You know, I love it when, like, a huge dude is named Tiny. I feel like that's a classic I don't, mob nickname. I, God, I saw a picture of him, and he was kind of, well, he's everything you would expect him to be. Oh, yeah. I'm imagining the dime, the pinky ring, the diamond. <laughs> oh, there's a lot of mentions to pinky rings in Hake's book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so this is basically the mob yes and this is from the sun times a savvy defense attorney had decided to take young hake under his wing the lawyer advised hake not to take things so seriously honest attorneys are fools he confided who just don't understand how the system works there's a way to get along and plenty of money to be made if you learn the ropes what Hake got that day was a lesson in how to be a, quote, hustler and a, quote, slime ball and a, quote, kink. But the, the streetwise lawyer got more than he bargained for. Hake was wired. Hake was wired that day. A body microphone taped to his chest, sources told the Sun-Times. The lawyer's advice is recorded on the bottom line is he was recorded. I'm not going to try to fight for the rest of the sentence when I can, you know, just 
Okay, so this was recorded when he's when he called honest lawyers a bunch of suckers and losers, essentially. Yes. Hey, just do what we all do, and there's a lot of money to go around. So, you know, everybody's happy. And oh man, this is the stuff in the legal profession that pisses me off the most when everybody's just doing everything wrong. And it's just like, well, who cares? Because we're all making money, and I'm one of those suckers and losers they talk about because I don't make money. Right. And I mean, and bear in mind, Jim is a defense attorney. And he's telling this to an assistant state's attorney that he basically just met. Yeah, that's also uh, (laughs) wild. I think I would have a few more, you know, get to know the guy first. Right. In case he was wearing a wire, too. Like, can you trust this man? Right. It just shows how, like, much money and how on the take, like, God knows who all was involved. Right. That you're just freely opening up to this, you know, oh, well, he's in the assistant state attorney's office. So, you know, he's an ASA. So I can just, you know, tell him like how it goes here. Right. Like he's starting, like he's training him, you know, when you shadow somebody at work. (laughs) Crazy. Jim is considered what's called a hallway hustler. Also known as fixers. So in... In Cook County, criminals pay 10% of their bonds to remain free until the conclusion of their trial. Yeah. So if it gets tossed out, they get their money back right away. Mm-hmm. Jim and a, a lot of the fixers charge 10% of their bond. And he, so he would take them at uh, the preliminary hearing, knowing that they're going to get off. And they're going to go get their money right away. And then you, yeah, that's a paycheck right there. Right. And he, yeah. And he would take 12 of these clients a day and pay out the bailiffs and the judge who was making about $500 a day. I mean, and this is in the seventies. This is 80, 1980. 1980. Yeah. That's a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of money. And, um, but this is the part that gets confusing. If you showed up to court without a lawyer, but don't qualify for the court appointed attorney, the Chicago Bar Association would provide a lawyer in exchange for the percentage, the same percentage of your bond, but they weren't on the take. So the judges would just assign them to what were called the hallway hustlers. Oh, interesting. Okay. Huh. So the Chicago bar, like nobody's like they're they're clean. Yeah. But okay, yeah, they, but they, they would get appointed to one of those hallway hustlers, though. Right. Or the or they were hustling in the hallway. At some point in time, um Costello does like a direct deal with Judge Olson to be his favorite. Okay. Um but yeah, so as, as we're, you know, also worth noting that the bribes were always in small amounts, like a, a hundred here, a hundred there. Yeah, because I think, I mean, that's actually kind of smart in a way, because, you know, if you if you show up with a briefcase full of, you know, five grand, you know, that's going to be a lot more obvious. Right. Uh, Hake has stories about people giving him like, you know, a hundred... A hundred and fives. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah, because those aren't going to be as, you know, 
noticeable as you know it's going to be harder to trace nobody's worried about five dollar bills mm -hmm. exactly now for hake an asa in narcotics court could expect to win three quarters of all their preliminary hearings but in front of olson he won two out of his first 20 that that's crazy especially at a preliminary hearing level uh-huh that's yeah that's actually crazy it's a good little stat and in fact olson would go to florida for the month of november and the defense attorneys would complain because they didn't win any cases while he was gone oh my god <laughs> oh my god that is wild <laughs> that that is so funny like that alone you should you should point and be like huh why why am i why why is everybody losing in november you know like you know and you want to be like oh well maybe he's just really pro criminal justice <laughs> <laughs> we have out-of-town judges come in when other judges go on vacation mm -hmm. and there was one out-of-town judge who was also working undercover as a judge he got fed up with the corruption and he was from okay. downstate and he wore his wire in his cowboy boot. Oh my God. That is, that is such an eighties detail. I'm obsessed with it. I'm obsessed. Like that, that would be some, some stuff you would, you know, for our ball based out of Houston. So that, that's like something I would hear in like a Texas. <laughs> well, he wore his wire in his cowboy hat or his boots. Yep. Yep. Judge Lockwood was his name. Olson, by the way, was hearing about 150 cases a day between the hours of 9.30 and 2.30. That's, that's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot to hear in uh, a short amount of time. Uh-huh. And he didn't work past 2.30. Oh, it's party time at the judge's office. Oh, yeah. I, I, I mean, I get the urge, but yeah no I, I that that's a that's bonkers yeah and eventually castillo gives jim a hundred dollars but it wasn't technically a bribe yet okay but shortly thereafter hank gets in on the action oh he, i'm sorry gives terry gives gives hank the hundred dollars but it wasn't technically a bribe but eventually he gets after gets in on the action and the book does a really good job because it's it's his life about the stress of knowing that his colleagues thought that he was a dirty lawyer yeah oh because i, I get because there's obviously um now i know chicago's a much much bigger city than any of the ones that i've practiced in but you know legal communities are pretty tight-knit you know, everybody's talking. It, it's kind of, you know, there are a variety of, you know, sort of open secrets and things of that nature. I mean, nothing this crazy, but, you know, just the temperament of certain lawyers or, you know, right. Uh, did you hear what so-and-so did, you know, last weekend? That kind of, you know, just water cooler gossip type stuff. Um, may maybe I'm one of the suckers and losers who's not in on the <laughs> <laughs> maybe you are the, the hot goss but um i hope not i hope that's not going on uh certainly but um not that i've seen but yeah no this is 
bananas that um yeah having to deal with that and you can't tell anybody you're undercover obviously but right you know, well, he, but your he, colleagues are like oh man he's a you know he's a dirty lawyer and he's taking bribes and he's carrying around brown paper sacks of five dollar bills <laughs> well they interviewed one of his co-workers and they were like i'm glad like when they when it all broke and they're like we thought he had changed like I, they like literally like we distanced ourselves from him because um, we thought he was on the take and, um, one of his good friends from the ASA left to go into private practice and tried to get him to bribe the judge for him. Oh no. Mm-hmm. Oh man, that that's rough because it's like, Hey man, don't be involved. Wink, wink. You know, like. <laughs> It's, oh my God, that's so crazy. But it just sh- goes to show like how, I guess he was convincing. Yeah. So convincing that his own friends, but I mean, I guess if you know the guy, maybe they didn't suspect anything, but um, yeah, I, I guess he gave a convincing enough performance or the fact that everybody was doing it so much that it wasn't that surprising. Right. I think it's, everybody was doing it so much that it wasn't that surprising and he gave a good performance. And he w- goes into painstaking detail how he earned the trust of everybody. Wow. Yeah, because I was saying, you, you know, when you were saying, um, oh, this defense attorney just told him on the first meeting, like, hey, everybody here's making money and taking bribes. It's like, I was thinking, my God, like, is that just how you open? Or, you know, is he doing something to earn these people's trust? Or is it just a fact it's all out there all the time? But I guess it's a mixed bag of all those. A mixed bag. Big Bird, that was like his in. And then Big Bird could vouch for him with other people. And eventually, he gets enough evidence that the FBI got a warrant to tap Judge Olson's chambers. That's crazy. First time ever that they tapped, wiretapped a judge's chambers. That's crazy because, the again, the amount of evidence you would have to have because you're hearing some, you know, very, conf- you know, confidential details. You're hearing, you know, other people's cases. You're hearing the ins and outs of the court system. Right. That's well, bonkers. And when they keep the, the sanctity of the chambers, they give Hake this little box that when a dirty attorney would enter the chambers, he would hit play and then write down who it was. And then when they leave, he on he cut off their access to the wire. Oh, okay. But the only thing that was happening in the chambers was corruption. So they eventually did away with that. Yeah, I could. I, I mean, that the fact that there's nothing else going on but corruption, like, does speak to that. And no, I wasn't saying it was a bad idea. I was just saying, like, oh, this is crazy that the, there's the corruption is so intense that they're able to tap a judge's chambers. Yeah, I mean, and I, I'm omitting, like, at one point in time, Harry goes to, uh, to the FBI headquarters and meets with the director of the FBI. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so this was... isn't just low level. Yeah, which goes to show how it goes all the way to the top. But yeah, I would, it go. It's not just low level, whatever, for the FBI, the director of the FBI to get involved. Like, right. That's bananas. And 
so how it worked with Olson is the fixer would sit down with the judge and they'd talk about the case looking for ways to get it tossed. So I didn't want to go too specific on details just because I think that would get boring. But to give you an example, like, hey, so-and-so got caught with X amount of, oh, there was a lot of PCP because it was the 80s. Um, and then they'd be like, but it was really at his girlfriend's house. And they'd be like, oh, he didn't live there? Great, we'll toss it. Like, that's how flimsy it was. Oh. So it's not, it's not even, you know, they're not even bringing in, like, defense witnesses or any of that. Or it's not just like, oh, the prosecutor has nothing here. It's just right. like, oh, any detail I can twist to get yes. this out. And also PCP, that is wild. Like, that is a, <laughs> that is a biker gang drug. But it was the 80s. I think it was more prevalent then. I don't know. Yeah, I always assume, like, if people are doing PCP, they're in Hell's Angels or something. You know, I'm, or, you know... They're about to fight 10 cops while getting tased and not feel a thing. You know, <laughs> I, just, I, I don't know how accurate that is, but PCP has never been something that I've been like, hmm, let me check that out. Yeah, I think I used to hear about it a lot more like when I was a kid. You don't really hear about anybody doing PCP anymore. Um, and I'm just using that as an example. But yeah, it would be the flimsiest of flimsiest of reasons. Yeah, so, just to give cover. Yeah. Gotcha. So this, they wiretap, it lasts for eight weeks. And they have enough. Like they have, so there's so much racketeering that's happening. During the period of, I should also, it's not going to, so the narcotics court is its own court. And they had this bar that everybody would go out to. And it shouldn't shock you that Olson was frequently drinking with the defense lawyers. Yeah. <clears throat> And they go out drinking one night and Castillo and Olsen almost get into a fist fight because Big Bird called another lawyer the K-word. Whoa. That is not what they teach you on Sesame Street. <laughs> I know. Bird needs to chill. Like, well, that's crazy. Yeah. And it's worth noting that he's an anti-Semite with a drinking problem and an unhappy marriage. Uh, yeah, tale as old as time in the legal profession, unfortunately. His glasses got knocked off his face. And he didn't, like, the next day, he was he didn't know what had happened. He didn't know where his glasses were. And uh, Hake had to tell him. And he has to keep things moving along so he can get enough information. So he's like, you got to go apologize to the judge. And then they were fine. Oh, yeah, it's just, you know, how we all get drunk and yell racial slurs and fight. Like, yeah. what? What is happening? Well, also, again, the 80s, so like their financial counterparts, corrupt lawyers and judges didn't shy away from the white powder. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I can, yeah. It's, I'm, I'm shocked that uh, there wasn't a big restaurant boom. You know, everybody's just chain smoking. And instead of corruption, they're like, let's open up a restaurant together. <laughs> and then they're out there playing pool. Yep. Nope. Yeah. They did a, a lot of, a lot of drugs. After the bugging of the chambers comes to a close, Hake puts in his res resignation so he can become a fake defense attorney, a fixer. Okay. This man has been a fake lawyer a lot. <laughs> uh -huh. 
which is kind of, which is very funny to me. But I see why he's doing it. But it's still very funny that he's just like in all these fake positions. Yes, Olson was also transferring to the more lucrative divorce court. Oh God, I can't even imagine those kinds of bribes. Oh, oh my God. Oh, this is bleak. Now, Bernie Carrick, who is the former state's attorney general, gets voted out. And Richard Daly, whose father was at one point in time the most influential Democrat in the country, replaces him. Okay. And and the feds, uh, because Bernie Carrick was a Republican. So the feds call Richie and they tell him what they're doing just to give him a heads up. And yeah. yeah, and he approved of it, though he's friends with many of the people who are under investigation. So he just keeps his friendships up with them to maintain the status quo. Okay. Well, I mean, I, that's, I, I don't know why, but I was, I was expecting you to be like, and then he called his friends and told them what the feds are doing, you know? So I'm oh. glad. Oh no, oh. no. There's one judge when the story breaks, there's one judge who had been out at a baseball game with him the night before. Oh, damn. And oh felt my God. so betrayed that he took his picture down. That That's very funny. I'm going to take your picture down. It's just something you do in middle school when you have a tip with your friend. But... Exactly. Or like draw the, the, get your Sharpie out and just draw over their face. Yeah. It's like put them in the burn book from Mean Girls. Yes. 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 So he did it. He did not give away anything. And Hake has to wait for the DOJ to approve him becoming a fake defense attorney. So that takes a little bit of time. But he's now got some special title with the FBI, which isn't FBI agent, but it's like overseer project like that. He's the only person to have ever had that title in the FBI. And they're giving him a little bit of money, though. That's the important part because he's not, he has no income coming in. Yeah. He gets a fake office in the suburbs with another lawyer. Wait, is, is the other lawyer like, oh my God, does the other lawyer know what's going on? No, because he never goes to his fake office. Oh my God. That's <laughs> wild. Could you imagine finding, like, I cannot imagine finding out I work for a fake law firm. <laughs> yeah he never went well the other lawyer was i think it was just like he was going out on his own and he went to this other lawyer and was like hey do you want to share office space or can i rent a desk from you so that he had a place yeah and the feds also rent a base of operations downtown chicago and create a fake business with business cards and make him the corporate counsel so he has a reason to go into this office Oh my God. And then it looks like he's also got client, a client, right. like a big client. I'm imagining, you know, in the movies when the FBI has like that fake van, yes. you know, and then there, and then if it, it looks like somebody's, you know, coming too close for, they'll be like, oh my God, we got to wash the dog, wash the dog. And then they'll like take out a dog and just pour a bucket of soap on it and act like they're a legit dog washing business or something. <laughs> but when they put the wire in the judges, like did the, it's kind of that detail watch because they wanted they want had to make sure that no one was in luckily they put that wiretap in the wednesday before thanksgiving 
Ah, uh, so nobody was around. Right. But like they had the whole like they memorized all all of the license plate numbers of the maintenance staff. Wow. Yeah. And yeah, that's a crazy amount of detail. But I mean, a, I guess you have to be this detailed if it's, yeah. you know. Yeah. Well, and because they didn't want real criminals to go free, they have FBI agents from other areas do fake crimes. This is, I'm sorry, but that's the funniest thing I've ever heard. Were they actually like doing a crime and being like, it didn't count? Well, the, everything was going to be a misdemeanor, which I'll get into in a minute. And one of the, like, like one of the things they had a hard time was they did drunk driving and they couldn't sometimes get people to arrest them because the cops didn't, it was like the end of the shift and they didn't want to fill out the paperwork. They had to work, they had to work really hard sometimes to get arrested. Oh my God. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Like you're just swerving all over the road. Like, yeah. And the cops like, ah, fuck it. Like what? <laughs> It's just, yes. It's like, hello, I'm doing crimes. And a cop just shrugs. From the Sun-Times. Uh, in the current investigation, Chicago police officials became embittered in its early stages because of a bungled caper involving two undercover FBI agents. The caper that angered some police officials involved an undercover FBI agent at the Shea case being snatched by an FBI second FBI agent outside Water Tower Place. Bystanders believed it was a street robbery and phoned the police. The snatch took place during lunch hour on the near north side, and a phony altercation between two undercover agents attracted a large crowd. One of the agents, who identified himself as Jesse Klugman, hailed a cab on Pearson Street, just east of Michigan Avenue. As he began to enter a rear door, a second man grabbed his case and fled on Michigan Avenue, with Klugman chasing him. Klugman eventually caught the man and scuffled with him. Police took both men to the East Chicago District Station. Now, officers questioned the man who took the case. He first identified himself as Mark S. McGee, but in questioning, police learned he was FBI agent Mark Bingham. Bingham told detectives he was involved in an investigation, and after top police officials were briefed, Bingham and Klugman were released. Man, it feels like these FBI agents are just living out a theater kid fantasy. <laughs> I know. There's a lot happening. A lot of stage direction. That was really detailed. Wow. that That's wild. And... This is what they say in the sometimes. In the course of the operation, the investigator in the course of the operation, the investigators attempted to create situations which FBI agents would be arrested for misdemeanors, which would get them and the agent attorneys representing them inside the courts to continue their undercover investigation. Actually, to continue their undercover investigation into possible corruption. Are you there? Yes. Yes. Okay. Sorry, I was just absorbing that. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Now, so they go, the next focus is traffic court. The FBI has lists of judges they want. Okay. Yeah. And this is what was happening in traffic court. 
syndicated columnist Mike Royko describes it this way. Justice was being bought and sold like vegetables on Randolph Street. Anybody in the know, prosecutors, defense attorneys, lawyers, cops, the court employees, and judges were aware of it. He added, there were judges who developed reputations for believing just about anything a drunk driver would say. You could drive backwards on the Kennedy Expressway and say the devil made you do it. And for the right price, the judge would nod, let you go and issue a warrant for the devil. You could fill your glove compartment, trunk and entire back seat with unpaid parking tickets. That is I, I do want I do want to see an arrest warrant for the devil. I think that would be <laughs> very funny. I'm sorry. I think it'd be very funny if a judge was like, "Well, I believe you," and unironically put out an arrest warrant for the devil. Um, I feel like that would happen in the South, but for different reasons. Yes, um, it'd be like, "Oh, the actual living devil!" Um, <laughs> wow, that's that's bananas. Traffic court too. Like, traffic, okay, so traffic court was notorious. It's 26 in California, and everybody knew there were actually three attorneys that were called the Miracle Men. Oh my God. But, but the miracle is the exchange of currency. Yes. Oh my God. That's that's wild. I want to see who did go to jail. You know what I mean? Like, I bet if you did end up going to jail for like so, some of this, you know, but. I imagine, can you imagine how pissed you'd be? Well, it really like, is a two-tiered Oh, and sometimes, though, just to get the, the scent off of them, they would let trials go go forward. Like, two out of 20, you know? But I'm wondering, too, like, watch those trials have been the ones that should have been, like, dismissed. Right, right. <laughs> well, and then this is how bad it was. One judge was too hungover one day, so he had his bailiff take the bench oh that's not okay that no chill that's not cool i i would oh my god i could not imagine being a lawyer that wasn't on the take during this time like because you would just be screaming like does no one else say this well you can see how terry hake was ready to quit (laughs) yes i i would immediately i would go practice law literally anywhere else that this is so crazy and then like when you point it out you get looked at like you're stupid like oh my god yeah this is this is bananas i think you get a sense of the the corruption that was taking place (laughs) everywhere look bumble knows you're exhausted by dating all the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello, I'm Alison Larkin, writer, comedian, narrator, and host of The Jane Austen Podcast. Join me as we embark on a journey through Austen's timeless stories, starting with Pride and Prejudice. The Jane Austen Podcast with Alison Larkin is available wherever you listen to podcasts. Everywhere. It went on for three years, this whole operation. And on October 6, 1983, the Chicago Sun-Times headline reads, Law Scam Zeroes In on Six Cook County Judges. 
So Hake is at a bachelor party. He knows that he knows it's that they've been scooped and he's at a bachelor party when the news comes on with all these dirty lawyers. Oh, Oh, you got to get out of that party, man. But he said he had this total freedom that nobody suspected him and he could just watch their reactions. Oh man. Cause immediately when that news came on, I would have been like, Oh, they've got a guy on the inside. Mm-hmm. Well, they started to, we'll get there. They started to wonder, like they're getting, they're going to get to that paranoid level. And I actually reached out to a former Chicago journalist who became a lawyer later. And he moved uh, about a week before the story broke. I asked him how they got the story. And it could be that they were tipped off by the CPD, but the, I read the coverage. They had way too many details. So I'm pretty sure that the feds tipped them off so they could get to the next level of their case and have people turn on each other that that make that actually makes a lot of sense that being the case yeah and having read i read all i read hake's book i've watched documentaries and then i went through and read the read the coverage and there's no way if you don't get tipped off that you would have all of that information yeah especially if they have information that nobody but the feds would know right like the six judges yeah, that that's way too specific. Mm-hmm. One of one or two of them might have been like, all right, but also, yeah, those six, yeah, for sure. Yeah, one aspect that makes the story relevant now is the reaction from the legal community because it is more fascinating than watching grown men lose their minds over Taylor Swift. Oh God, I I can imagine what the. I can imagine what the legal community reaction was. Well, as predictable, the fallout of a federal indictment in Chicago always creates paranoia. Mm -hmm. And they don't know who to trust. Yes. Which is more telling than not. Yeah. The FBI had a really, really busy 80s and 90s in Chicago. Yeah, sounds like it. They were putting on improv live <laughs> on every street corner, it seems like. Well, then they also had uh, Operation Haunted Halls. When some aldermen got arrested, like, we just don't know who we can trust anymore. And I'm like, yeah, you guys are scum. Yeah, it's it's like, what do you mean you don't know who to trust? None of you. Right. I mean, you're a lawyer. And if you heard that there was an FBI probe into your court system, would you be concerned? I would want to know what the fuck was going on in the court system. But you wouldn't be worried about yourself. No. I would be worried, like, what what's happening at the court that I don't know about. <laughs> this seems concerning. So the Sun-Times wrote something called Bug Worries. The Justice Department's Operation Greylord, aiming to ferret out bad guy lawyers and judges, has some of the latter in a tizzy at the Daily Center, as one judge admits, quote, there's a general paranoia among judges that borders on the comic. Yeah, I I could imagine. Because right now it's like, oh, we were just letting anybody and everybody in on this open secret and letting y'all be on the take. And now we got to close up shop. We got to close up shop. 
the article goes on to say the big question, of course, is who's in hot water and who got them there? One judge admits chagrin that some colleagues hear rumors he wore the electric snooping device to help the government. He tells them that's nuts. It hasn't made life tranquil. Hearing, yeah, I can imagine because, you know, people kill people over that. Like, oh, oh yeah. And yeah, here, that would not be great. Also, if you were just like completely innocent, but also not, you know, an informant, that would be, oh my God, that'd be the worst position I feel like to be in. This it's horrible. Quote, hearing one's name bandied about is no joke, he said. This is the only thing judges are talking about when they're together. Social advisory. The judge is so frustrated that he's making it a point to, quote, stay away from cocktail parties and a lot of lunch dates. A thing to do, he suggests, is, quote, go to the stop and shop, fill up a plastic bowl, and come back to your desk to eat. Yeah, that's actually probably sage advice. Like, if you're not involved, keep your head down. Keep your head down. But this is not how innocent people behave. Yeah, but I also would, I wouldn't want my name, you, you know, no. because nobody trusts anybody. Nobody trusts thing. anybody. There's definitely mob connections here as well. Um, I'm shocked. I know, I know you're shocked. <laughs> All is not lost. I found an article about former Illinois Supreme Court Justice and my one-time lawyer, Seymour Simon. Brian J. Kelly. The state court system faces a crisis of competence, which threatens threatens disrespect and disregard for the law and can only be cured by merit selection of judges, an Illinois Supreme Court justice said on Friday. In a toughly worded speech, Justice Seymour Simon said that Operation Greylord, the federal investigation into Cook County courts, has intensified public doubts about the integrity of some judges. Quote, a public suspicious of our judges is as great a hazard to the justice as dishonest justice judges themselves, Simon said. He goes on, he just kind of lambasts the judges. And then this is an important thing that I want to underscore here. Whether we like it or not, this investigation is going to continue until it is completed to the satisfaction of the Justice Department. One of the things people complain about a lot is how slow, say, Merrick Garland has been. Yeah. And Seymour's just like, this is going to take a while. Yeah. And then during that time, you know that there's people know that there's corruption, but they don't exactly know who's all corrupt. Right. So you can't really trust anybody or anything that comes out of the Justice Department or not the Justice Department. Sorry, but the justice system. Yeah. Everybody's corrupt. You don't really trust anything. Um, and. Now. Hake went and tried to turn Big Bird into a, a witness, but Big Bird wouldn't do it. Oh, Lord. He would not testify against Oscar the Grouch. Right. The, yeah, we're at the <laughs> point now where they're just trying to get people to turn on each other. Yes. Yeah, flip it um, This is a quote from Roger Simon, who later became Politico's first chief columnist. This may be a case of a few rotten apples, or it may be part of what the prosecutor who began the investigation said was, quote, a pervasive, deep-seated lack of honesty at all levels of government and business in this area. 
Yeah, but but I mean, again, it's a phrase, you know, the rotten one rotten apple spoils the whole bunch. Yes, exactly. So it's even if you are an innocent judge, like until this investigation clears you, essentially, you know, nobody can trust you. Right. Because who knows? I I mean, uh, it seems evident that at all levels there were people on the take. So, you know, what what's your deal? Right. And and here's the thing that was interesting is they assumed when they went into it that the lawyers were corrupting the judges. No, the judges were corrupting the lawyers. Yeah, fish rots from the head. Yeah. And lest you think integrity ran supreme, people had bumper stickers saying, quote, support your local judge, end quote. Oh, my God. Oh my God! That I'm sorry. That that is kind of that is hilarious. It's like, ah, oh, I like being able to bribe my judge when I drunk drive all over the place. Yes. I mean, it's kind of like buying a T-shirt with a mugshot on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it they bring in the IRS, of to, course. You know, they, it's a whole thing. By December, they charge the first ten people. And it went on for over a decade. Oh, my. The investigation? No, the trials. Oh, the trials. So, yeah, they they arrest the first 10 people. One, and and it was so big, and they were so worried about it being being successful that, like, they, they lost one judge. They lost the trial, and they were really worried it was going to go another way. By the end of the decade, nearly 100 people had been indicted. And all but a handful of them were convicted. Oh, my God. That is, yeah, again, it just shows you, like, how deep this went. And, you know, think of how many people that were, like, suspected, but, you know, not they, en- maybe not enough evidence to indict, right. you know, or the people that, you know, maybe wiggled out of it, you know, or flipped. Yeah, a lot of people flipped. They had 17 judges. 15 were convicted, and then the rest were lawyers, court clerks, bailiffs, police officers. Oh, my God. No, Now, I know that a prison uh, a prison's about to get some great jailhouse lawyers up in there. <laughs> well, they were all sent to some federal prison in Wisconsin. Oh, my God. I bet prison. Yeah, and you can help the, your cellmate on his appeals. Like, like uh yeah i mean it was just like wow like um and a lot of them rolled you know and a lot of them didn't go to court but three people committed suicide and other people just sort of died yeah probably the stress the stress and they ended up they did another op late 80s early 90s and ended up indicting the hitman oh wow mm-hmm. okay that's yeah well i mean i assume also that they got disbarred i'm assuming oh, I'm- oh yes there was a lot of disbarment going on i have to say the chicago bar and the illinois bar was on top of it that's good to hear. I am glad to hear that. I, I was worried that you'd say, and they are practicing law to us. 
No, I think there was one that tried to get his license back, but they're like, no, like you were, you are a convicted felon. um, For bribing in the justice system. Yes. Yeah. Like, what are you doing even asking? Like, I would have laughed at him for asking. Right. I'm not a judge of anything, but. (laughs) Well, and I mean, I think it's one of the interesting things is I don't know if I've been following the Tom Girardi case in. Mm-hmm. Do you know anything about that? I actually don't. He was the lawyer for Aaron Brockovich, who was stealing money from it, widows and orphans in their oh, settlement. Yes. yes, yes, yes. And I think they finally just disbarred him. Yeah, it's weird how it can take so long for certain people. But the I've but the best way to lose your license is financial stuff. You touch you touch your um, client's trust account. So when you get a settlement check, you touch any of that money. Uh huh. Goodbye. Yeah, yeah. you're out of here. And it, yeah, it just took like other people are like it's just taking the California bar a really long time. That is weird because usually with that they're pretty on top of taking your license. Like it yeah. Well, he's quick. also claiming to have dementia, so he's not practicing law anymore anyway. But um, yeah. It just took one of the things is how long it took to t- to do that. Um, I, I thought you were going to say he was going to say the devil made him steal the money. No, I, I don't like think that so. Devil, that rascally devil again. <laughs> the rascally devil. Terry Hake went on to become an FBI agent. And then when the trials were ending, they wanted him to move like the way it works for FBI agents is you get sent to a smaller market before you go to the big market. Yeah, that makes sense. They kept him in for the Operation Greylord because he had to testify. And when that came to an end, they wanted to move him somewhere. I think he wanted to go to Seattle and they wanted to move to Philadelphia. But his wife was now a practicing lawyer. So they, he he left he left the FBI and he went on to have other jobs inside of the federal government. Right. Doing lawyering stuff. And then in his 60s, he went back. I think he went into private practice. And then he went back to being an ASA. He could practice law in Cook County again. Oh, wow. Uh-huh. Well, that's great to hear because I think probably the you'll never practice law in Cook County again probably was just like, oh, the powers that be are not going to let you. Right. The powers a- that be or if we don't get this done Right. Yeah. You're going to be hated. Or there's going to be fallout that affects somebody we're not going to be able to get because, you know, of their power. But they're going to make sure that you don't come back in here again. Right. Yeah. It's um, essentially like a threat of being blacklisted. But that's good to hear that it, it didn't work. And he was able to go back to the job that he nearly quit so many years ago and got involved in the FBI's uh, theater troupe. But... <laughs> One thing I learned on this, and you probably knew, I didn't realize this, that U.S. attorneys are only, they're, they're appointed. I knew that part, but they're only in office for four years. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Like, so, and it's four years. It doesn't matter. Like, so we had Thomas Sullivan, who was the Carter appointee who started this. And then we had Dan Webb. Do you know who Dan Webb is? I've heard the name. Okay. I'm going to go to his Wikipedia page just because it's good and bad. 
a land of he's contrasts. A- I love a land of contrasts on yes. a Wikipedia page. He is so he started out as a U.S. attorney. Then he prosecuted Iran Contra. Okay. Then he was he he uh, was a special appointment for a case involving a guy who died after being punched in by the nephew of then mayor Chicago or Chicago mayor Richard M. Daly. What is up with people hitting people and killing them <laughs> in Chicago? No. What is going on up there? He was also appointed special prosecutor for the Jesse Smollett case. Okay. He in private practice, he is um he is what's his title? He is the co-executive chairman of the international law firm Winston and Strawn. Mm. And he in private practice, this is where it gets kind of um Philip Morris. Oh. Ooh, cigarettes. Yeah, they're down the road from me over in Winston-Salem. Bill Gates and U.S. v. Microsoft. The New York Stock Exchange. Uh, Those are some of the... Some of the... Pfizer, Boeing, Ernst & Young. Yeah. Those are... um, Then he represented... Numerous politicians, such as former governor of Illinois, George Ryan, Chicago Congressman Jesse Jackson Jr., Dan Rastenkowski, who is also a congressman, and Detroit Mayor Kwame Kilpatrick. Yeah, that, that's quite a collection of clients. It's, uh, yeah, it's, oh, it gets better. He, oh, this is why I wanted, okay, so then Trump wanted him to represent him in the Mueller investigation, but he declined. Okay. They wanted to also have him be the special counsel for the Clinton impeachment, but he declined. Um, Makes sense. But he defended Fox News in Dominion v. Fox News Network. That's where I know him. (sighs) Oh my God. How do you go from defending Pfizer to, I mean, I guess you have a lot of big corporate clients, which I mean, that doesn't mean like you're defending them doing bad things. Sometimes it's like a company versus another big company. It's, you know, sometimes companies do need defending. I understand there's a place for that. Um, But that is, that case was literally indefensible. Uh, Well, I know he was getting ready to do his opening arguments when they did the settlement. Yeah, because that's what I would have told Fox News to do. I would have been like, hey, man, get your checkbook out. (laughs) That's what that's. Yeah, because this thing's about to go sideways. Oh, my God. Like. Jesus, that's crazy. That that's where I know him from. Okay. Yes, I mean he's got all these crazy, but it's like conflicting because then he also represented Dimitri Fertosh, who was a business partner of Paul Manafort. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's a, when you get on into like a lot of these big law firm lawyers. Mm-hmm. A lot of times you will find a very, very mixed bag in their clients, which well, I mean happens if you're, you know, doing that kind of thing. But well, like Bobby know. Kaplan defended the banks and also brought us gay marriage. Yeah. And took on Nazis. Yeah. It's, you know, yeah. <laughs> I'm 
a firm believer that everybody deserves good representation. Oh yeah, for sure. Because you want to make sure that it's a right verdict. You want to make sure everything's done right. But yeah, it is interesting how sometimes you will go down a list and you'll be like, oh, okay, this, this company, this company, uh, all these fortune 500s. And then you'll find like, oh, this terrible person. Yeah. yeah, it's like, oh, he represented uh, poor children, and then he worked for O.J. Simpson. You know, it's like, what's happening? So, it, yeah, you'll you'll get oh, you'll get off in a mixed bag with these like very high profile lawyers. Yes, I try very much to, you know, I'm a I'm a plaintiff's attorney, and um, I try very much to, but I understand, like, I I want my opponents to have good representation, obviously, because um, so, I want the system to work. Yeah, so so Sullivan did not take on a mixed bag. He um was a pretty good guy. Oh, I forgot to mention Scott Terrell, the writer, mm-hmm. was also on the the prosecution team. Okay. Um, wow. he yeah, so he went into private practice. But the thing that he's notable for, like I said, he didn't waver in his his convictions. He worked for. Mayor Harold Washington and a bribery scandal in 1986. And he was instrumental. So George Ryan, when he was leaving office, commuted all of the death row sentences to life sentences because prosecutional misconduct was a problem. Yeah. And, and he and Seymour Simon were instrumental in getting that work done. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, yeah, you can see where yeah, people have gone on to do, you know, yeah. things. Yeah. And I think he was a partner of Jenner and Block. Um so as we paid attention to live tweets about Alina Haba's stunningly subpar lawyering, read truths about corrupt judges, and hear complaints about a rigged NFL, I, I could go on on how this is relevant. Specifically here in the Northern District of Illinois, we're waiting to hear how a SCOTUS ruling on bribery will impact the trial of former Speaker of the House, Mike Madigan. I try to really pinpoint to why this is relevant, why now? And luckily, it's really easy to connect the dots here. But trying to summarize this, my thoughts are so jumbled. And I think it's just, I want to know, like, it's not all like this. Yeah. I And I think it's important that, you know, we do root out this kind of corruption because that's the only way people can trust the system. Right. Right. And I, but, you know, I, I think back to, you know, what that judge, what that ju- Supreme Court justice had said, where, you know, well, when you root out corruption during that process, sometimes people kind of panic and they don't know, uh-huh. you know, they assume, oh, well, it must all be corrupt. And I think that's also not a good way to look at it. Right. Well, when I look at our courts now and sometimes I wonder if they're still corrupt because it's like people get sentences that make no sense. Yeah. So. No- yeah, it's a it's a tricky thing because I mean, I'm not going to say, oh, I believe that there's no corruption in the justice system. Like what was I born yesterday? You know, so it's, you know, um, but I I do have a belief that eventually, especially when you have a conspiracy going on. And this is why I think so many conspiracy theories are debunkable. People can't shut their mouths 
And that's right. what gets them caught. That's what got them caught here. I mean, and everybody was just, you know, in on it and having a great time. But you, you know, when once, yeah, people can't shut their mouths, especially when they're up doing coke and drinking and wine. yeah. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, it's just, you know, like today I was I went in to watch Twitter and Trump is claiming that he won his case and appeals for Eugene Carroll. That's just like, sure, man, words mean whatever. Yeah, that is sort of what I'm left with, though. I have, have you ever watched the show The Good Fight, which is a spinoff of The Good Wife? Yes. I feel like researching this i want to say it was second or third season where they always just had the news on and it was like the most surreal could be real but wasn't real yeah very very like ripped from the headlines yes that's how i felt and researching and writing this was just like this is just ripped from the headlines yeah it's um Thankfully, though, Alina Haba has not been able to pull off some kind of masterful gambit. Like she has, like I said on Twitter, I know when that woman shakes her head, it sounds like pennies rolling around a tin can. I saw that. I saw it's that. It's unbelievable. Um, but the fact is that she's richly rewarded Whoa. for her shenanigans. Like she earned, you know, $3 million in fees for her law firm. Do you think she got paid? Um, I don't know. I, I saw that she earned $3.2 million for her law firm, but I think that it's, um, highly, I, I don't know if it's been confirmed or not, but I know that they believe a lot of that was Trump's fundraising. Okay. Yeah. I and forgot. a lot of that was, um, may have even been PAC money, which, <sighs> yeah. Again, like I, I really want, you know, um, investigations and, and Alina Haba also um she's in hot water at the New Jersey bar I wrote about it on um, my Substack hot dockets but yeah so she was claim she was quite this woman was saying that she was sexually harassed by Trump's uh club manager or bar manager essentially at his club in New Jersey mm -hmm. and she acted like she was a friend to this woman and was like, oh, well, I can help you and blah, 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 and convinced her to fire her lawyer. And then Alina Haba had drafted up, and this is all according to the complaint by this other attorney who's now representing this woman, but yeah, Alina Haba drafted up a settlement agreement and did not, never disclose that she was working for Trump. Wow. Which is a huge, that's conflict of classic conflict of interest like just like the lowest of below ethically that you could do oh. and so yeah and i'm just wondering like okay but she's earning three million dollars for her law firm so what nobody cares well i mean is she gonna get sanctioned i would hope i mean she's been sanctioned for you know she got sanctioned over a million dollars for the um the fraud the election fraud lawsuits so I, um, it just seems like, you know, we really need to encourage consequences for these attorneys who are behaving badly. Right. Um, and at least it's not to the level where, you know, oh, she's paying, she's winning all these verdicts and it's obviously in a corrupt manner and, you know, all this stuff, but it's clear that she's inclined towards it and, oh. you know, it's, Yeah.
it's it's rough it's rough because it's it's so obvious like if this if these allegations are proven in new jersey it like and i and it it's a lot for another lawyer who is a very respected lawyer to be saying these things about another attorney in a complaint so i take them very seriously and i'm hoping that the bar associations will take them seriously too and i've been encouraged by seeing some movement on you know your other corrupt lawyers but you know, I, I think right now there's this real big distrust in it. I mean, between, you know, the Clarence Thomas going on boat oh! and the, yeah. And, uh, and, you know, with that, it's not, there's not a lot that can be done because the Supreme Court makes their own rules, essentially. And I think that's the ick that I feel about, like, there's two things. Like, there's this ick that I feel about it all, like, just ick. Um, and also... It's I'm torn between I've always been a little a little distrustful of institutions, uh, you know, a healthy skepticism because there are conspiracies. They're usually done by the government. We don't find out about them, you know, like this one. But also, I want our system to fucking work. Yeah, that's the thing. And I think that what people need to remember is it takes work to make a system work. Mm -hmm. And I think too many people have gotten, you know, that are in these, whether it be institutions of power or whether it's, you know, people who vote, et cetera. I think that a lot of people have just become complacent with it and said, oh, well, this is the best it can be. And it's always going to be corrupt when that's not the case. You can you can easily have people in power that can do things like operations into, you know, where they found corruption and following up leads on that. And you can, you know, we can have a system that works. And this, the thing is, you know, the system's never going to be perfect. Right. I'm not one of those. I'm not one of those. Oh, the system's perfect as it is. But I think that we can always be striving to improve it. And once we get kind of lax in that, I think is when we get problems. Right. And I think that's, you know, I think that's what left me with the ick because it's just so in your face right now. Yeah, I, I think that's, but I think also that's because people are exposing it. Right. Yeah. Okay. I can, I can, I can be hopeful. I try to be optimistic. I don't want to be like, we're fucked. I mean. Yeah. I, I try to have a healthy skepticism and see the danger signs where they are, mm -hmm. but hopeful that we can still, you know, turn things around and improve for the better. Okay. All right. Well, do you have any other thoughts? Um. Yeah. So I don't think anybody. I mean, who knows? <laughs> Maybe ten years. But um, I have not seen uh anything on this level. I can't believe I've never <laughs> known about Operation Greylord. Like I am shook right now. I'm just to think, and now, now I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go to sleep dreaming about, you know, mobsters with pinky rings and brown paper bags and Big Bird and FBI agents doing an improv group. Like J judges drawers stuffed with cash. Yeah. Cash and cocaine. And yeah, just, oh my God, this is truly shocking. Um, yeah, I, I knew that there were jokes about, you know, the Cook County jail should have its own politicians wing, but. Well, so there is, there's politicians. So there, there was a plan to make a movie. I want to say uh, with Ryan Murphy called Crook County. Oh my God. Um, And there's a whole corruption display in the federal courthouse. That 
That's crazy. <laughs> Here's There's what a, we used to do. Because we had a corruption trial for uh, an alderman at the end of the year last year and the jury like the lawyer the defense attorneys wanted the corruption display covered up and i'm like if you're on a jury in the northern district of illinois you know that there's corruption yeah and it's like whether it can be proved in that case or not but like i wouldn't be Everybody knows there's been corruption in the past. What right. is this? You're, they're supposed to become in blind, trusting babes. Yeah, it was just kind of funny. By the way, the corruption was 13 out of 14 counts found guilty. So, including trying to shake down a Burger King. Oh wow! Uh, oh yeah, Burger King shakedown. We we all love. We all hate to see it. There was but... actually a tweet that was like. Burke found guilty on corruption for Burger King, Field Museum, and Benny's Beverage Depot. It sounds like you just grabbed random words out of a bag and constructed a headline out of it's them. It's also oh, the most Chicago coaster. tweet in like of all time. That <laughs> is, like... It is very Chicago. You just need like an Al Capone uh, memorabilia like was involved somehow. Yes. Uh, that Yes. Yes. Um, but yeah, so it is a it's an interesting story. I'm you can see why I wanted to have you on for this. Oh, for sure. Thank you for telling me all about this. <laughs> I've learned so much. You're um, now going to go to your partners and be like, "Did you know about?" Yeah, I I truly am and also now I'm wondering uh, you know, I took some improv classes and now I'm like, were any of them fits? <laughs> My mom is watching some lawyer on YouTube who explains important cases. Ah, uh, yes. Mm -hmm. And she's like, oh, I was watching this lawyer and he explained to us why, why it was really bad that Mark got Alex's phone. Yeah. It, and, yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, Mom, you don't understand how many podcasts I've listened to about this. Oh my gosh. It, it's such a classic moment. It it really is. I, I don't know how Mark restrained himself because I would have started doing cartwheels in the courtroom. I would have, you know. I, I would have that and then when Alex was on the stand in the Connecticut case. Oh my God! Yeah, I could tell. I I could tell a little smirk on Maddie's face when, um, you know, he, I could tell he was about to switch gears and really go uh, at him. You can well, see a little smirk and turns around and just hammers him, you know, with questions. And Alex is just like completely red. I I was like, oh my God, is he gonna have a heart attack? I'm and then you <laughs> then you have Norm objection, objection, objection. And the judge is like, to the answer of the question, both. I know. Uh, oh my God. And then the closing, um, at the closing when Norm did the litigator's prayer. Oh God. I yes. asked about every attorney I knew. Is this a thing? <laughs> and then they all were collectively kind of went, what the fuck are you talking about, Morgan? <laughs> what are you, what, what's your deal right now? Like, what is this? And I'm like, oh no, I was just checking. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, no, I think that's a norm thing. Um, yeah, no, but another underrated moment of the Alex trial, I really think, is when um, Mark showed the jury a video of Alex calling the jurors stupid. Oh, yes. The jury's face. Yes, I think people thought I was a weirdo, but they do not understand how entertain how, well, 
parts of it were entertaining that these trials were. Yeah, a lot of it is, you know, obviously very tragic, very, tragic, very awful what has been done to these families. But, you know, you do have to kind of look at just the absurdity of it. Well, it, I, it, like of not the trial, but like these moments and how absurd the defense was because there is no defense. Yeah, I was I was like I was alive messengering a friend of mine who was at work when Alex was on the stand in Connecticut. And I'm like, hold on, hold on. I think he just brought up the Unabomber. My friend's like, on the witness stand? I'm like, yeah. Yeah, no, it was, <laughs> it, it, no, Alex is the king of being like, no one, literally nobody, not a single soul saying anything and then being like, and the Unabomber. <laughs> trying to say I'm the Unabomber. And it's like, you brought that. I didn't think you were, but why, you know, your t-shirt saying, I'm not like the Unabomber has me asking some questions. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, well, no. And, I and I, but no, I, it's so, it, there were so many truly just unhinged, just I, unhinged. And yeah, it's, it's, um, it's weird out here and you know these the mirror world of these defamation cases where you know these a lot of mostly conservative publications just decide to destroy random private citizens lives that's crazy i mean it's just uh, i mean i do you think that they just don't know the publications i think they do I okay. think they do. And I think the thing is, they don't believe that there will be consequences. I think that's what it is. I think they have this belief that they are um, free from consequences. I think that there is an utter disregard for what is true, so long as it makes you money. And okay. who care? And, you know, just they don't, they don't care or, you know, it's not that they don't think about it. It's like, why should it matter to them? Well, it's sort of like how Alex just keeps redefaming Scarlet yeah. and oh, oh, got it. Scarlet and Neil. Neil, yes. I was thinking Lenny Posner, but that's a different case. There's the other one that your boss filed that I'm curious to see how it turns out. Ah, yes. The I assume this is the Elon case. The Elon case, exactly. Yeah. But so, um. Yeah, our client, Mr. Brody, was um, harassed uh, and suffered a lot of damages because of Elon going on Twitter and saying, you know, how he does. Hmm, interesting. Ooh, it looks mm. like he's one of these, you know, agents, uh, you know, and it became a whole thick conspiracy about how he was a Fed that had infiltrated you know, a neo-Nazi brawl to make people believe white supremacy was a thing. And, you know, that didn't blow up until Elon commented on it. Right. It didn't. Yeah. And so um, we'll see how that goes. Uh, we have some, uh, you know, motions, some back and forth to take care of. But yeah, we'll we'll see how that goes. But I am really hope I'm really hopeful that Mr. Brody has a good case. I think that we do have a good case. And you know, we're going forward with it because just because, you know, Elon Musk is the richest man in the world does not mean that he is immune from consequences. Right. And I think that, thank you for just talking this through with me because I can also, that's what also left me with the ick is there's just no consequences. Yeah. And I think that the thing is you have to make consequences happen is what, 
you know, and it's hard work. And a lot of times it sucks, but man, there's gotta be something because, you know, as they say, boy, we do live in a society, you, you, you know, it's, yeah, we live in a society like we, there has to be consequences for actions when you hurt people. And that's what, you know, the civil court system is for, you know, when, when somebody does, um, you know, illegal wrong to you. And so that's all we're asking for is that um, Mr. Brody be compensated fairly for the damage that was done to him. And, um, you know, there are people out there who believe that, oh, who cares? Who cares about the truth? Who cares if, you know, any anybody would have known this was a lie and false? Who cares that he was just a private citizen? Not anybody I know. And I think that there's this sort of anonymity aspect to it as well. Mm -hmm. where people get very bold saying things about people behind screens that they don't know well, and yeah they can dehumanize them completely it, because you know oh well i'm getting a lot of money and a lot of it, people think oh i get a lot of money and attention out of this so you know who this other person is you know whatever right and all you have to worry about right did you read elizabeth williamson's book I did. Okay. Yeah. I mean, because the way she goes into it and how it is a uniquely online thing now. And, you know, even it's, it's, but it's, it makes me mad because as a podcaster, I make sure that I cite my sources and that I know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. Like I'm going to be doing um a local person here who's current and this person is litigious and I'm going to make sure that I don't say anything that I can't back it up. Yeah, absolutely. That's what that's what people should do. That is absolutely 100% what people should do. But, you know, nowadays it seems like, oh, well, I saw this on 4chan from some anonymous poster. So that must, you know, I'm going to spread that around with, you know, no regard for, you know, the truth and only regard for what goes viral or what brings them income. And it feels like there's this um, ecosystem of grifters as well. Oh, yeah, that are, that are really, you know, they they compete with one another, but they also feed on one another. And that's part of that system that really needs to be dismantled, which, which is what we're seeing with the Taylor Swift. Yes, right now. It is exactly and, what we're seeing with the oh, which I'm a Swifty. I know you're a Swifty. Hard, hard. And so, yeah, no, I am like, get a job. Stay away from her. <laughs> well, Will Summer, who writes for the Washington Post now. We used to write for Daily Beast and he figured it out. Like they all have to say something like Jack Posobiec has to say something because they're grifting. And this is the thing they've got to grift on right now in the attention economy. Yes. But collectively as the group, it makes them look insane. Yeah. Like and yeah. And as you see, it's every single one of these, you know, quote unquote influencers Mm -hmm. that are you know they all talk about the same things they all you know maybe from a different sort of angle maybe from a different move and you know some are savvier than others as far as you know how close to the line they get but yeah it's um it's gone so insane and I if I can do something just sort of you know if not restore sanity to the world you know to at least get the people they hurt mm -hmm. make compensation and control and take that narrative back because 
it's so also dehumanizing to these plaintiffs went to have your life essentially your story your truth taken from you and twisted into lies that serve this weirdo narrative and then that's all you're reduced to and so to take that power back to me is worth it well thank you so much for doing that and thank you for so much for joining me i think that's a good note to end on where can people find you well you can find me on substack at hot dockets by Morgan Stringer. You can also find me on Twitter, that sinking ship. Um, <laughs> um, at most string, that's M-O-S-T-R-I-N-G. That's where I am most active. But um, I'm hopeful that we will look forward in time and be like, you remember when Elon owned this website? That's... That was a weird period yes. of time. I'm really hoping that's what this all comes to. I'm hoping so too. I am hoping so. Now, listeners, I appreciate you. And if you enjoyed the episode, hit the subscription button quicker than a bagman handing money to a judge. Leave a five-star review and tell all your friends. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.